Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. All right, you may have your seats. I am Pastor Aaron, one of the pastors here. It is so good to be with you this morning. I know that we have the uh, we have uh, the little ones with us, and so uh, Pastor had told me that I only got 25 minutes, and uh, I understand why now. <laughs> At first, I was getting ready to to go back and forth. I'm like, Pastor, 25 minutes? My introduction is 15, you know. But I but I get it. All right. So um, we've been in Luke for a while. We've been in this sermon, Sermon on the Mount, or Sermon on the Plain. And um, I'm gonna have to be honest. Uh, when Pastor let us know that he was preaching through this passage, and you know, several times it's love your enemies, right, et cetera, et cetera. I'm gonna have to be honest. I was kind of hoping that Pastor, you know, in his theological, you know, uh, uh, preparation, would find some sort of loophole, right? That 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 enemies didn't actually mean like you know, like all the enemies are, you know. But um, that was that was not the case. Um, by the way, let me, let me say this. So this is my prayer for us every time we come into this place, particularly times when I am up preaching. Um, my prayer is that we would hear, uh, that the Holy Spirit would give us ears to hear, but also the will to do. Um, and this is not throwing shade, but there is something about our culture, our Western culture, our American culture, um, that if we're not careful, our independence can be an idol. You know what I mean? So this is what I mean as it relates to the word of God, that we can, we can look at God's word, we can receive God's word and say, yes, it is inspired, I know it is infallible. But then we get passages like this one, and something in us kind of thinks it's optional. Like we don't receive it as if here is our teacher, right, the one whom we have sworn that we will follow and emulate, we don't often have that mindset. So my prayer this morning is that we would be in that place to hear and to do. Now, by the way, this happens every time I get up to preach. In my sermon prep, the Holy Spirit has already beat me up with it, right? But it's good. It's good even though it's hard. Um, it is important for you to know or you to remember, or me to remind you, maybe you don't need a reminder, that when Jesus is giving this sermon, right, he has a certain audience, and it, and it matters. The audience are his 12 apostles, right, who basically have sworn fealty, sworn life devotion to him, right, as a teacher, as a rabbi, but also disciples, okay, Right, this is the crowd, disciplined followers. All right, in our society, right, Christian, that term Christian, we all know that like it means different things to different people, right? And sometimes because it uh, can mean different things to different people and, it, and it's used so much, even as Christians, we lose sight of that we are Christ's followers, right? We are Christ's disciples, disciplined followers. 
So sometimes it's lost on us that what a disciple is, a disciple has found a teacher that said there is something about your teachings and your life that I want to emulate to the point that I am going to do what you do. I am going to to obey what you say. There's a difference between those that don't know God. And actually, in our passes, Jesus pushes on that. There is a way that disciplined followers should follow their teacher. And there is people who don't know God, there is a way that they operate. And we shouldn't operate the same way. So as we go into this, I want you to feel the weight of the responsibility of God's word, that it shouldn't just come out there and like, oh, that's nice. No, this is for if you are a disciple of Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, right, you got to lean into this. When I was in college, I played college football and college baseball. I was on a college football scholarship, but my, my college football coach and college baseball coach allowed me to play baseball, okay? But there were conditions. Here were the conditions. Baseball happens in the spring, okay, but also spring football happens in the spring. The conditions were this. If I had a baseball game, I could go to the baseball game. If I had spring football practice and baseball practice, I would go to spring football practice. So for the four years of my, my, my time there, I played football and baseball. My last season of baseball, I had another season of football in the fall. My last season of baseball, after four years, this is my fourth year, with about a third of the season left, my coach, Coach Mintz, kicked me off the baseball team. Um, it was unexpected. Coach Mintz was a very mild, sweet, kind man. I don't ever remember him raising his voice. And so this, this took me by surprise. But this is why. This is why Coach Mintz kicked me off the team. So we had a football workout that day. And we had baseball practice a little later on. They overlapped a little bit. So it was a conditioning, football conditioning. So we were running, we were lifting, okay? And I had baseball practice. It overlapped a little bit. And I could have, and I should have gone to baseball practice, but I was tired. And so in that wiggle room, I didn't go. Coach Mintz somehow found out that I could have been at practice and I wasn't. And so I came into the dugout. The rest of the team was out warming up. And Coach Men says, why didn't you come to practice the other day? And I said, we had a football workout, Coach. He said, yeah, but that wasn't practice. You could have still made practice. And I was really taken aback because Coach Mintz, this wasn't his character, wasn't his demeanor. And he had never, in the three and a half years that he coached me, he had never taken this tone with me. And I didn't understand why. And he said to me, he said, so since you love football so much, why don't you just go play that? And I was like, excuse me? He's like, if you love football so much, why don't you just go play that? Just like that. And I said, well, what do you mean? He was like, get out of here. So I was devastated, and I was hurt, and I was angry because this was messing with my career. You know, there wasn't a ton of baseball scouts, but there were scouts that would come time to time, and they would ask Coach about me. And so, of course, there was that hope there that, hey, you know, maybe I get, you know, invited to spring training somewhere. Maybe I say, whatever the case, but all of this is dashed, so I become angry. 
later that fall, Coach Mintz got really sick. And I was out of the touch with the baseball team. I was out of touch with Coach Mintz. And one day on campus, I ran into one of my uh, uh, former baseball teammates. And he said, hey, did you know Coach Mintz really sick? He said, like, really, really sick, like he's in his home and they don't expect him to live on. And I still had anger and resentment in my heart. And I was like, oh, well, I hope he, I hope he's, I hope he does okay. But the Lord had told me, God told me to go and see him. And I told God, no. One of the few times I remember just telling God, no. But I told God, no, and it was painful. I said, he took something from me. I'd played baseball with these guys for three and a half years. He took the last part of my, my, my baseball career with that team. He, he potentially took my opportunity to get a chance to play professional baseball, at least the trap. And so, no, I was angry. He'd taken something from me. But the mindset that I have, and this is what Jesus is getting at, the mindset that I had back then, and the mindset that all of us still struggle with as believers, as disciplined followers of Christ, is this. We often serve because we will get something in return. We're honest. But in this passage, Jesus is pushing against that mindset. And Jesus actually says, this is the mindset of someone who doesn't know me. But you are a disciplined follower, so you say, be different from you. But then what should our mindset be? What does Jesus tell us our mindset should be? Jesus, in essence, is saying this to us as we think about this passage. If you really believe, I'm faithful and truthful. There is a greater incentive than the one that you are currently after. But do we believe that? And God is asking, and I'm just going to say up front, like, in this passage, Jesus is asking a lot. And we feel that. And it's easy for us to say, oh, the Lord, I'll do everything, but like until it comes to passages like this, until there's that one person that you don't want to be loving to, you don't want to be good to, and you don't want to give to. But Jesus tells us, right, as he's trying to work out of us the wrong mindset and get to us the right mindset, right, he tells us, let me tell you what your current incentive is, right? And this is us, right? If we're not careful, if we're not, uh, don't allow Jesus' words this is the incentive we desire. We often desire reciprocation in our relationships with others, and we know that's true, right? Okay, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Our knee-jerk reaction is this mindset. If you love me, Finish it for me. I'll 
Love you. Come on now. Come on. Amen. Come on now. Right? We know it. If you do good to me, I'll. Right? If you lend to me, I will. If you give to me, I will. Transactional relationships. Even in the people we're closest to in love. Why do we do that? Think about it. Why do we do that? I'd ask myself that. Why do, why do we do that? Because in our mind, that's fair. Even if unconsciously, right, consciously, right, as, as good followers of Christ, we want to project that, oh, I'm loving, you know, does God call me to love regardless? I am giving and doing good. But the reality on the inside, we got something working that's just like, no. You love me, I'm going to love you. You do good to me, I'm going to do good to you. Why, why is this our mindset? Because we think that's fair. That's what we think. Husbands, why? You love me, I'm going to love you. Do good to me, I'm going to do good to you. We think that's fair. And actually, if we're thinking fair is, all right, what's equal, right, there's a case there. Now, Jesus is pushing us beyond that, trying to get us not to think temporal-minded, but we think that is fair. But we don't like when we feel like someone else is getting something and we're not. And sometimes we use that faux humility. Oh, it's all right, brother. And on the inside, we're like, wait a minute, I, 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 need to get, I want that money back for real. I want that back, you know, like, you know, like, hey, you can borrow my jacket. You're like, but for real, that's, that's my, I want, I want that back. <laughs> and we think transactionally. And Jesus is trying to bake, uh, break us of that. I mean, just think about your own relationships. I mentioned husband, wife. All right, wife. Hey, I'm cooking for you. We might not say it. Right. Doing laundry, keeping his house clean, picking up the boys. I might not say nothing, but like husband, I can't get a date night, bro. Oh, I'm talking real. I can't get no date night. Come home, eat this food, right? House clean. You want to watch the ball game? Like we can't even watch Gilmore Girls, bro. <laughs> or kids, right? Kids, I'm a good kid, right? And your parents, you know, for whatever reason, you're like, I'm a good kid. So you have in your mind that you should be able to ask your parents and they let you do whatever you want. And the parents are like, no, I ain't going to. What? You might not say it because, like, in my house, like, you know, like, you couldn't even look like you was going to say something back. By the way, my mom was here first, first, first. I can talk about her now. She's not here. She was here first service. Mom was old school. You better not look like you're going to say something. Even though I was like, I'm a good kid. How come I, I never get to do nothing, right? What am I, what am, what am I doing, right? I'm like, I was good. I should get. So we operate. Siblings. How come the only time you call me is when you need something? <laughs> if your sibling is here, don't look at him. Don't look at him. <laughs> Let the Holy Spirit convict him. 
But we know this is the way that we operate. Here's a question. When you think about the relationships, the close ones, or even the ones that are, are, are you know, colleagues and things like that, think about this. How giving, loving, serving would you be if they didn't reciprocate any of it? It only take a few days for you to be giving some love or doing good to somebody and then they, you know, they ain't doing good to you. Only take a little bit of time. Think about how frustrated we get when we're in a relationship and we feel like we aren't getting something. It's hard to love someone who has not given you a thing for a period of time. No thank you, no compliment, no smile, nothing. That works on us. But Jesus is trying to move us beyond that same incentive that the sinners, and what I mean by sinners are those who don't know God. We operate like this. I have a friend, I, I, I wrote a book some time ago, and a friend of mine, I didn't ask him to read the book, but he read the book, and sometime later he wrote a book. One day he came to me, and he said, I wrote a book. I was like, cool. He said, it's been out for a while. You ever have someone come to you, talk to you, and you know they're trying to get at something? <laughs> and their tone, he's just like, yeah, I wrote a book. It's been out for a while. And he said to me, he said, don't you think you ought to read it? I read yours, just like that. Had me hemmed up. Like, I mean, I wasn't, I almost kind of laughed. I was like, I was kind of like, serious? He was just like, I read yours, didn't I? But in his mind, he was just like, I did right by you by reading your book. You need to do right by me by reading my book. He didn't say it, but it's just like, see how that works? We are like that, but Jesus is trying to break us of that. It's interesting that Jesus juxtaposes the way that those who don't know God are in this realm of loving, doing good, and lending, and, and believers and followers of Christ. Verse 32, 35, if you love those who love you, what benefit has to you for even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is it that you, for even sinners, do the same? And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Here's the rub that Jesus is, is, is saying. And it should bring some alarm. It's just like, you don't take your cues from those who don't know me and how they operate. It makes sense to them. Oh, hey, so check this out. It no longer surprises me for people who are not Christians, who are not disciplined followers, who are not Christians. It is not a surprise to me. Why would you not try to make all the money you can make, regardless of who you hurt? 
Why would you not try to have all the pleasures you can have? For someone who is not a disciplined follower, for someone who is not a Christian, that makes sense to me. Why would you not try to fill yourself with every pleasure under the sun? Why would you have any restraint? I get that. And Jesus gets it too. Of course, sinner. Those relationships should be transactional. But for you, it should not be. It should not be. You ever have someone give you something or lend something to you and you know that they want something, right? I have someone lends to give something to me. You can have this. I already have one. You can have this, right? You know, I'm like, okay, cool, because actually whatever the thing was, I want I needed it. I, okay, great. And then sometime later, that person who gave me this thing asked me if they could borrow it back. More than one time. Like, this was like a routine thing. Now, that's not a problem because, you know, I, that's, here's, here, here's the problem that, that I had, the way it felt. The felt was that there was an expectation that, of course, I'm going to lend it back to you because guess what? I gave it to you. But check this out. The person was a non-believer. So as soon as I heard the tone, hey, hey, you know what, I let, I let you borrow that. Hey, I, you know, I, I need to use that. Because he was a non I already knew what time it was. Oh, bro. Matter of fact, I even told him, oh, I said, yeah, you actually have it back, but you know what? He's like, no, I really want it back. I just need to borrow it. Didn't surprise me. I'm dealing with someone who's an unbeliever. And he's operating in the ways of the world, but we ought not operate that way. Here's another interesting thing. We have to admit that there are some people that are easier to love. Can I get amen? I'm a teacher. There are certain kids that man are the sweetest can be. I have kids that every day leave my classroom and say, thank you, Mr. Layton. <laughs> thank you, Mr. Layton. Mr. Layton, have a good day. I'm, I'm serious, right? I have, I have students, one of my students, her mom actually teaches with us, and I had her in class. I kid you not, if there was a perfect student, she was it. We was in chapel one day, and they were just like, there are no perfect kids at Westminster. And I leaned over to her, I said, your daughter's perfect. <laughs> I said, Charlie's perfect. Her mom's like, <laughs> she saved the drama for her mama. <laughs> there are people that are harder to love than others. I'm dealing with my dad is in a home. He has dementia and Parkinson's. Dad can be a little mean sometimes. Some of you have been there. It's not an easy place to be. Not an easy place to be. But our Lord calls us in this way to love those that may not be 
loving us back, to give to those or to do, to, to do good to those who are not going to do good back to us. And he pushes us in this way. Right? And so, if you're like me, um, there is a part that wrestles with doing good, giving, and loving for people that I don't think deserve it. But as I said earlier, God does not give us an exception with this. So what should the incentive be? Jesus is going to tell us. Verse 35 and 36, read like this. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. He says desire nothing. Don't desire love in return when you're not getting love. Don't desire for nobody to do you good after you've done good to them and you continue to. Don't desire to get back what you've given someone or lent to someone, even if it's your last. But this makes me nervous. I'm just being honest. And probably everybody in here has at least that one person, maybe multiple, but everybody probably has at least one where you, like I did in my situation with Coach Mench, you say, no, not this person, Lord. I'm doing good to them. Not this person, Lord. I ain't giving them another thing. Not them. I'm done loving them. Probably everyone. But you got to get your heart right. Because the day may be coming where God calls you to be in the presence of that person. We want to walk this way, the way that the Lord has told us. But this is why it makes me nervous. And this is why I suspect it makes you nervous. Nobody wants to be taken advantage of, right? In our relationships, no, that ain't how that work, right? No, I'm gonna need that back. I get, you know, I'm, I, we, reciprocation. We don't wanna be taken advantage of, right? So if I am loving somebody that's not loving me back, that's not fair. They're getting over on me. I look weak. And if we're honest, some of those feelings and emotions are tied to things that have happened in our past and the way people have treated us, if we're being honest. I'm not going to let them make me feel, Lord, how I felt when I was in the third grade. And they laughed at me and they took from me and they ridiculed me. I'm not going to let them make me feel how I felt in middle school or high school or college or in my neighborhood or in the workplace. I am not going to allow them, Lord, to do that. So no. Now, let me separate that from abuse. We're not talking about situations of abuse. Mm -mm. 
I want to make that clear. We're not talking about being in a situation, staying in a situation of abuse. No, that's not loving. That's not kind. No, that's, that's different than what we're talking here. But in the way that Jesus is talking about here, what makes it hard for us is we don't want people to take advantage of us and to get over on us. And let me be honest. That's how I felt with Coach Mitch. And God told me to go and, and visit him. Nope. I was like, Lord, no. He ain't coming out on top. No, why? I'm not giving that to him. We ain't even. We ain't square. No, 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 no. Coach did me dirty. We ain't square. No, I, I need to get him back. Then we square. Then we square. You don't let people get take over you. That's what our flesh tells us. That's why it is so easy to operate in transactional relationships, because it's easy. You do for me, I do for you. You give, I give. It's not what we're called to. It's not what we're called to. But the interesting thing is, <laughs> we do get something. Right? There is a transaction. But it's not on the level from here to here. The transaction is here. Hey, this is what we're dealing with. Pastor was right to last week insert. Hey, sometimes when Jesus is teaching, there's these cryptic messages that are in there that aren't explicitly talked about. You know what the cryptic message in this passage, Pastor alluded to it, is faith. That's what I'm talking about right here. Jesus is saying, do you trust me? Think about it. Do you trust me? Or do you think that I would allow you to be taken advantage of in the way that you think? Really, the question is, do you believe that God is good for it? Your Lord is saying, Love without expecting anything. Do good without expecting anything in return. Give without expecting anything in return. What, Lord? Wait, what? No. Yes. Grabs your face. Do you trust me? Yeah, Lord. Mm. Do you trust me? Hey, this is what I do. This is an app. A practical application for you. Hey, just know that God, just know Jesus, the Holy Spirit, will always require more than you than your flesh wants to give. Just know that. It won't change. Doesn't change. For the rest of your life until Jesus comes to get you, there is no off-season. It is not going to be easy. He's calling you to this life. But he is good. So, this passage, when he's talking to his disciplined followers, when he's talking to, to those who have submitted, right, loyalty to him. He said, do you believe that I'm good for it? Do you believe when I say, right, but love your enemies, verse 36. 
But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing, verse 35, in return, and your reward will be great. Do you believe that? He wants us to because it's true. Is God good for it? Is Jesus good for it? He is. So I I changed my mind as the Holy Spirit began to work me to go and see Coach Minch. And I remember driving over there and I went back and forth. God, I struggled. To be honest with you, I struggled. I'm going to try to get emotional, but to get emotional like I did first time, but I struggled, man. Driving over there, I'm like, no, man. He did this to me. I got to his house. His wife opened the door. She was happy to see me. And he was, he was in the basement. He was in the bedroom in the basement laying down. He was frail. And when he saw me, he had a surprised and confused look on his face. Like, why would I be there? Because we didn't leave good. We left on bad. I hadn't spoken to him until he kicked me off the team. I hadn't even seen him. And in that moment when I just saw the frailness of his body sitting there, I felt ashamed that I had been so petty. And I saw him. And I said, hey, coach. And he talked very low. He said, hey. I said, how you doing? And he said, I'm good. But I knew he was lying. He wasn't good. And we didn't talk about what had happened. And in that moment, nothing else mattered but that I'd come. And it's like I could see, I could see in the spirit, like in my, I, I could see God nodding his head like, yes. Yes. And the reward that was intangible in that moment was that I had overcome that struggle. And that time became more precious than anything. And this was the other thing. So I received something that was unquantifiable, untangible. But this is also what I've received. And this is, this is the reward as well. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. What I gained in that moment, in that obedience, 
was God's commendation to me. Yes, in this moment, you are like me. You have done what I would have done. You are like me. And so I just want to encourage you. To move beyond our thinking, our transactional thinking. That if you love me, I'll love you. If you do good to me, I'll do good to you. If you lend to me, I'll lend to you. For even people that don't know God, that's the way they operate. But for us, as disciplined followers of Christ, who are emulating his life, and in several passages in the gospel, it says it is enough for the student to be like the teacher. The incredible reward that I have as it relates to that point in time with Coach Minch is that I was like Jesus. I did what Jesus would have done. And whatever cost Whatever I had to get over did not compare what I received. Trust God that he is good for it when he says expect nothing in return temporally or from our social relationships or from our familial relationships but that our expectation and what we expect and the reward we get is from him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are good. Jesus, what you ask us to do is a hard thing, but it is the right thing and a good thing and satisfies our soul in a way that nothing else can. There is a satisfaction in our soul that comes and our obedience to you. But Lord, it is hard. Lord, let our prayer be that Holy Spirit help us to walk in this way. Because it is the right way and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as the worship team comes and sings, allow the Lord to speak to you the Lord may be preparing you for that encounter with that person where you said no. Lean into it. Hey, because what Jesus is trying to do is set you free. What we try to hold on to, what we think will do, what we think it will do is not the thing that does what we need it to do. Jesus is just trying to set you free. So there'll be people at the altar to pray with you as our worship team comes to sing, but allow the Spirit to speak to your heart. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, 
We would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.